around the world. We are continuing our series on David, the worshiping warrior, and this morning we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're actually going to be introduced to David this morning. We started out the series looking at two psalms David wrote because we wanted to actually go back before we were introduced to him and be reminded about, even as a young child, as a young boy, as a young teenage boy, what were the things that God was using to shape David's heart to be a heart after God? In fact, when Nicole mentioned that this morning, that David is declared to be a man after God's own heart, I wanted to share with you where that's found, if you're interested. That's found actually in the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 22. Uh, Paul is preaching a message there, and he's going down through sort of the history of Israel, and he gets to the time of David, and he says, let's not forget that David, the king of Israel, was a man after God's own heart. That's where that comes from, Acts 13, verse 22. So what was God using in David's young life to shape him? Well, back a couple weeks ago when we were in Psalm 19, we saw that there were two primary things. There was creation, because David was out there in God's creation every day as a young shepherd, and he was learning about his God through creation, through natural revelation. But we also saw that David was also being shaped by the word of God in Psalm 19. And then last week, we looked at maybe one of the most familiar passages of Scripture in the Bible, Psalm 23. And we saw there where God was using David's experience as a shepherd to shape his heart as well. That David came to realize that as he was learning how to shepherd his father's sheep, he realized that God was shepherding him and that the Lord was his personal shepherd. And out of those two series, I've been encouraging you to sort of commit one of those verses to memory each week. And so the first week out of Psalm 19, we looked at verse 14, where David says, May my words and my thoughts be acceptable in your sight, my sheltering rock and my redeemer. And then last week, sort of our memory verse was Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Now, we'll be giving you another one of those today, but let's get into 1 Samuel chapter 16 this morning. And as we do, we are introduced to the prophet Samuel. David is not actually mentioned for the first time in the Bible until 1 Samuel 16 verse 13. But we're introduced to the prophet Samuel. And Samuel is sort of commissioned by God to go to Bethlehem and anoint one of Jesse's sons as the future king of Israel. But before he does that, uh, the Lord comes to Samuel and says in verse 1, how long are you going to mourn or grieve over Saul? Because I have rejected him as the king of Israel. Now, before we share a few thoughts about that, I, I want to remind all of us, and I hope this will be an encouragement to us. Unlike 
us as human beings who we don't know what's coming. Therefore, it's sort of wise of us and, and prudent of us to have plan Bs in our life, right? Contingency plans. We're, we're encouraged to do that throughout our life because our plan A might not work, right? So we're supposed to try to have backup plans in our life. God never needs to have a plan B. It's all plan A with God. He has no contingency plans because he always knows what's coming. And nothing takes God by surprise, okay? He knows it's coming before it comes. And that's why God encourages people, just follow me. Because if you follow me, I know what's coming ahead of time. I know the future. And I, you don't have to worry about all these plan Bs and contingency plans. Just follow me and trust me because I don't need one. I'm God. And that's certainly true here. God was rejecting Saul as the king of Israel. Now, let's make this one. God was not rejecting Saul as a person. God loves everyone. God so loved the world. He loves every human being that he ever created. We're not talking about Saul's salvation. We're not talking about Saul as a person. We're talking about the fact here that God is informing Samuel, his prophet, he is not my choice as the leader of my people. That, that's not my choice. In fact, in fact, if you go back and study the life of Saul, Saul was never God's choice as the king of Israel. It was the people's choice. They wanted Saul to be their king. God didn't want Saul to ever be their king, and they suffered under the kingship of Saul for that very reason. You see, there's a lesson even in that for us as well. That's why God tells us Please don't compare yourselves to others. Don't try to be like others. Be who I created you to be. And that's even true for us as a church. Oh my, in the last 13 years, we always have people either coming and going throughout our church or even who, who try to put us into the mold they want us to be in. And a lot of times what I hear is, well, why aren't you doing things like that church does? Why don't you have the programs that, that that church does? Why aren't you fitting into that? And I have to keep coming back to because God has a unique and special plan for the Oasis Church, and he doesn't necessarily want us to be a church like these other churches. And we all have to be careful of that in our own lives. The, the problem with the Israelites is they wanted a king like all the other nations around them. And that's exactly the opposite of what God desired for them. God desired of his people to be distinct, to be different, to, to stand out and be set apart from all the other nations. But no, no, because all the other nations had a king, they wanted a king. So God said, fine, you want a king like all the other nations? There's Saul, have at it. And it wasn't a good situation. It never worked out. And so God finally comes along at this point and says, I've rejected Saul as a king, but now I have found myself a king, verse 1. And we know who it is. But God is basically saying, I'm going to pick the next one. And he's going to be someone after my own heart. And so God says, 
don't continue to pine after Saul. God isn't against grieving and mourning our losses. That's biblical. But God does come into our lives, and, 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 and I think just like with Samuel, his own prophet says, you got to stop grieving over the things that I've rejected. You've got to learn to reject the things that I'm rejecting and embrace the things that I'm embracing and stop holding on to the things that I've let go of. And that's a good principle for all of us right now. Maybe that's part of our issue in life is we're still trying to hold on to something that God is saying, get over it and move on or get over them and move on because that's exactly what God was saying to Samuel. How long are you going to mourn over the king that I have said no longer deserves to be on the throne? I've got a new king that I want to anoint, and I want you now to go to Bethlehem and anoint one of Jesse's sons as the future king of Israel. By the way, isn't it interesting that in about a 1,000 years there will be one even greater who is born in Bethlehem who will not only be the king, but will be the king of kings. And he will come out of that little town of Bethlehem that David came out of as well. So Samuel's like, okay, you'll notice, Samuel is not resistant to go and obey God, but notice his question in verse 3, how? How? And what God is saying to him here is, I will show you how to do this. I will be with you step by step through this process. And I will eventually get to the point where I will literally point out to you through my spirit who you are to anoint as king. That's huge. You see, as we study the life of David, we're obviously going to learn a lot about David that can be helpful in our life with God as well, right? But the study of the life of David is also learning about our God and learning more about him and how he works and how he operates so that, again, we can even have a closer relationship to him. So don't think of this series on David as just being about David. It's going to be about God, too, because the story of David is the story of God, just like your story and my story is also the story of God in our life. You can't separate the two. So God is telling his own prophet Samuel, I'm not only going to tell you what you should do, I'm going to tell you how you should do it. And God does the same thing with us today. He's not going to lead us to do something and then not give us direction as to how to do it. Because notice what Samuel says. He says, well, here's the issue. Saul's still alive. And if Saul knows what I'm doing, that I'm going to Bethlehem to anoint the future king, he's going to feel like, obviously, I'm a traitor, and he's going to kill me. So God says, okay, tell everybody that you meet there that you're coming to offer a sacrifice, which is not a lie. You're just not going to tell them everything you're going to do at the sacrifice, but that that's what you're going to do. So Samuel takes off. He comes to Bethlehem. The leaders of the little town there greet him and say, have you come in peace? 
And part of the reason why they're asking Samuel that is because Bethlehem, being such a small little town, was not on Samuel's normal circuit that he would go around Israel as the prophet of God. So it was very unusual for the prophet of God to show up in Bethlehem. So you can only imagine, it's like, are you here for good things or bad things? And he says, no, I'm, I'm here. It's all good. Peace, shalom, literally. And he says, I, I've come here and I want to consecrate Jesse and his sons. I want to dedicate them and I want to invite them to a sacrifice later on today. And so that's exactly what happens. He consecrates Jesse and the sons who are there and they come to the sacrifice later that day and Samuel begins to look at the appearance of Jesse's sons. And the first one he comes to, Eliab, probably the oldest, notice even Samuel is sort of captivated and, and enamored by his physical presence. The Bible says that when Samuel looked upon his physique, his stature, he was a presence. He was maybe head and shoulders above all of his other brothers. Even Samuel the prophet said, surely this is, this is the one. This is the Lord's anointed, right? Now think about that. By this time in Samuel's life and ministry, Samuel's pretty old. He's been walking with the Lord and tracking with the Lord and been a prophet for God for many, many, many years. And yet, even after all these years of walking with God, his bent, his default, if you will, is to judge things simply by how they look externally. It shows how, as human beings, we just sort of have that. It's like we just automatically look at someone and we begin to make judgments simply based and, and primarily based and, and more completely based on what we see externally and outwardly than, than ever getting past that and getting to the real person on the inside. So the Lord, who again is directing Samuel step by step, says, no, he's not the one. I, I don't want him to be the future king. I, I've rejected him. Again, not as a person, but as the position of the leader of my people. That's not who I want leading. That's not who I want in leadership. And then God says this. And this is the sort of the verse or the part of the verse I would like to encourage you to commit to memory or to meditate on this coming week. God says, God does not look on things the way people do. Because people look at the outward appearance or the externals, but especially this last phrase, but God looks at the heart. Oh, exactly what Nicole was sharing at the end of worship. God looks at the heart. And we know from Acts 13, 22, that God saw in this very young man a heart for him, a heart that beat for him, 
a heart that was bent towards him, a heart that had a passion for God, a heart that wasn't perfect, but, but a heart that was always willing to, to turn to the Lord and, and go in the direction of God. God is looking for the same thing today. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the entire earth, searching for those whose hearts are devoted to him. David was a man after God's own heart, and God set his heart upon David because he saw that David had opened up his heart to God. But we sort of getting ahead of ourselves here, right? Because all God is saying to Samuel is, I don't look at things and make my determinations and make my judgments, especially about who's in, to be in leadership and who I'm going to call and who I'm going to put in this position and that position. I don't base it on externals. I base my decisions as God on the human heart and what condition it is in. And it doesn't have to be a perfect heart. It basically has to be a heart that's willing to surrender itself to God and let God then strengthen the heart, heal the heart, uh, do whatever our heart needs, but to turn our heart over to the Lord and realize that it's in the Lord and a relationship with the Lord that, that our heart will become secure and stable and strong and all of that and satisfy because only God can satisfy our heart. I hope that's an encouragement to you today because we live in a world today, not just in Christianity, not just in the church, it certainly exists as it always has, but in the world today, we live in a world that is obsessed with appearance, that's obsessed with externals. In fact, let me just give you one statistic, and this, this obviously is not exhaustive. This doesn't cover it all. But every year just in America, every year just in America, there are 21 million plastic surgeries performed. I'm not against plastic surgery, I, but I'm just saying that's just one sort of Sign that we as human beings are very much obsessed with appearance and with externals. And all I'm saying is, I'm not saying we pay no attention to externals or appearances, but we should have the same values that our God has. And our God's value is, I'm not as caught up with externals and with what's on the outside of somebody. I'm way more interested in the inside. I'm way more interested in someone's heart. My pastor heart is going to show here just for a few seconds. I want to talk to all of you who are yet married. Don't make it all about the external, the appearance of what someone looks like. I'm not saying to not be physically attracted to them, but I'm saying who you marry and want to spend the rest of your life with, the heart should be the most important thing. 
what's on the inside of the person, not just what's on the outside. That's true of friendships, too. That's true of any relationship. It's what's on the inside. So Samuel's like, okay, Eliab. Then they bring Abinadab, the next son. And God says, nope, not him either. And then they bring Shammah. And God says to Samuel, nope, not him either. And they go down through all of Jesse's sons. Well, Samuel, by this time, you can imagine the prophet of God, he's scratching his head because he's going, I, I know I didn't get the wrong signal from God. I, I, I clearly heard God say to go and anoint one of Jesse's sons, and it looks like we've run out. So Samuel's probably like, what's going on? So Samuel asked Jesse, is, do you have any? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got one more. But, but he's the youngest. He's just out there watching some of our sheep. And Samuel says, uh, you need to get him and bring him here because we're not going to turn our attention to anything else until he comes. Now, here's an important lesson that God wants us to get as well. Not, not only that God primarily looks at the heart and what's on the inside and doesn't get caught up like the world and all the externals and the appearances of things, but notice something about the story of David even before we're actually introduced to David. And that is that David is so small and insignificant, even amongst his own family, that he's not even considered. He's dismissed. He's not even regarded as a possibility. They didn't even bother to ask him to come in from watching the sheep because surely it's not David. And it's going to be out of obscurity that God chooses his next king, the king he says, I've chosen a king for myself. And why is that important for us to grasp? Because sometimes as human beings, and I'm not saying David was like this at this point, but sometimes as human beings, we can be sort of removed from what we think's going on over here. Because many times as human beings, whether we like to admit it or not, we can suffer from the FOMO, fear of missing out, right? And David could have been over there thinking about, man, I wonder what I'm missing because I'm just over here being the faithful shepherd and, and wonder what's going on back, back at home. And sometimes we don't think like we're being seen by anyone. Like no one is noticing what I'm doing over here. Well, listen, as we begin the story of David, here's something all of us need to be reminded of. God always sees us. God always notices us. It, Bethlehem was this little tiny town. It was nothing. And then David wasn't even in the town. He was out by himself in the field. There was no one else around. There was nothing else around. And yet God was there. And God saw David. Doesn't that remind you of the story of Hagar? that after she ran away from Abraham and Sarah, here comes the Lord. And what does she say after she interacts with the Lord? She says, 
you are the Lord who sees me. And she was a servant girl. She was an Egyptian. And yet God saw her. God sees all of us. God notices all of us. There is no human being that escapes God's notice. And, and we can't live off the grid with God. And God saw in David the heart that he wanted for the next king of his people. We don't ever have to be afraid of missing out if we're just doing what God's asking us to do. Because guess what? God will make sure that we get to the right places, to the right people, and in the right position if we just trust him. And we are living in a world today that's not only obsessed with appearance and externals, but desperately needs to be seen. I mean, if you know me at all, you know I'm not a social media person. But I do feel as a pastor of a local church, I need to at least have a little bit of an understanding about what's going on in the world every day, just so I can speak intelligently about it to even somebody else that might ask me. And I'm telling you, it's, it's almost scary. No, it is scary. What people are doing out there just to be seen. They're so desperate for attention. They want people to pay attention to them. And here's what God wants them to see. If you truly believed and knew that your God saw you and loved you, then you wouldn't need to spend your life begging and pleading and doing anything in this world for the attention of others because once you and I know that we have God's attention and that we're seen by him, then it's not going to matter as much to be seen by anyone else. And if God does want us to be seen by others, he'll make sure that we get seen by those that he wants us to see. And I don't need to fight for all their attention like the world is doing today and like many Christians are getting caught up in doing today. So out of obscurity, David is brought before Samuel. And as soon as this young man is brought before Samuel, the Lord says, yep, he's the one. Anoint him. And then the Bible says this, very interestingly, in verse 13. Look at that. It says, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Not only did David have a heart after God, but God then was going to supernaturally enable him to serve him as king by granting him his spirit. That's the way God always works because supernatural service requires the power of the Holy Spirit. And you and I can't serve God supernaturally apart from partnering with the Holy Spirit. We're learning a lot about that in our study on Wednesday night from the book of Acts. And God wants to see the same thing today. And you and I can trust that if God calls us to a particular position or role in his kingdom, just as he's doing here with David, that God will enable us supernaturally through the presence and power of his spirit. So that again, like we're learning in Acts, we can do way beyond what we could ever do just humanly, on our own, without God. And that's why God gave David the spirit. 
Now, with that being said, then you'll notice something interesting in the next verse. Saul's still going to be king of Israel for all practical purposes for the next 13 to 15 years. David's going to have to wait, and we're going to go through that with the life of David, for about 13 to 15 years before he actually gets to be the king. He's anointed king here. And let's not forget, how old would David be in 1 Samuel 16? Anywhere between 12 and 15 years of age. He's about 30 when he finally gets to be king. But then it says, the spirit of the Lord leaves Saul. See, God gave Saul the spirit too. But Saul long ago walked away from his God. And so God, having rejected him in that position, takes his spirit away from him. Now, again, that can't happen to true believers today. When you and I accept Christ today, we are permanently indwelt with the Holy Spirit. But until Christ came in the Old Testament, the Spirit would come and go. That's why David in that one famous psalm says, do not take your spirit away from me. Because there was a possibility of that happening before Christ. That can't happen today. We are sealed, Paul says, with the Holy Spirit of God. But what happens because Saul walked away from his God and basically rejected his God and rebelled against God, God gave him up. As Paul says in the book of Romans, God will do to people today. If they reject him, then he will give them up to their own desires. And so notice what happens in this passage. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this. But it says an evil spirit was permitted by the Lord to torment Saul. Now, there's several things in here that we'll talk more about in the weeks to come, especially as we get into David's psalms and David's life. But, but one of the things that you see here, and, and I hope some of you will, will grasp this, is that Saul was going to struggle with, with mental and emotional issues for the rest of his life. And yet I want you to see something. There was a spiritual component to that. You cannot separate the two in the Bible. There is no such thing as someone just having emotional and, and, and mental struggles in their life and that they're not is some kind of spiritual component to that. There always is. There can be a physical and a spiritual component to those struggles that we can have in our lives emotionally or mentally. And that is something that God is pointing out here in this passage of Scripture. But notice something else very interesting. Saul's servants begin to recognize that Saul could be soothed by music. In fact, they, they actually encourage Saul, let's get someone to come and, and play the lyre for you. Because even in those days, they recognized that music has a power to it. In fact, God created music to have a great effect upon us as human beings. And that's why it's important that we make sure that we are listening and taking in and immersing ourselves in the right music. Because there is music that can do damage to our psyche, to our soul, to us spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Just as there is music that can 
positively impact us spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Because music has that kind of a, of a powerful effect upon people. And you see that here in the story of Saul's last years, which is one of the reasons why God brought David into contact with Saul. It was sort of the first step or foot into the door for David in getting close to Saul. Now, you and I also, though, might go, why would God want David, the future king of Israel, this young man, why would, would God want him to now, in a sense, be in close proximity to Saul? Well, we've already learned that there are things that God wants to bring into our life to positively shape our hearts to be like him. There's also times in our life where God in his wisdom brings us into contact or connection or proximity to things or other people that he doesn't want us to be like. So that in a sense, I'm getting a little ahead of the story of David, but what you could hear God saying to David is this. I want you to know what it's like to be around Saul because he's the king of my people now. You're going to be the king of my people one day. And I want you to see who this man is. I want you to see how he talks, how he acts, how he responds. I want you to be in his presence enough to get an idea of who this man is like for this reason. I don't want you to be like him. I want you to be just opposite of who he is. And sometimes God will do that in our life. I, I've been br brought into contact at times throughout my pastoral ministry where I could clearly tell God was like, now I'm going to bring you for a time in contact with this other pastor, and I don't want you to learn how to do things from him. I want you to learn how not to do things from him. God will do that. And that's exactly what God was going to do with David. But let's bring this to a close this morning. I want you to go down to verse 21. As they're looking for someone to come and play the lyre, which was, by the way, just a small sort of traveling harp. It was a, it was a small version of a harp that you could literally carry around with you. When they were thinking about who that would be, one of Saul's servants sort of steps forward and says, I know somebody. And the reason I want us to go to verse 21 is I want you to see that even as a very young man, that David had a, a reputation with some other people. He, he had, in a sense, a testimony with others. If they were to characterize him, these were some of the, the great characteristics of David that sort of floated to the top. And, and the reason I want to mention each of these today is because you and I, we're like that with others too. If, if we're not in the room or we're not in the crowd and someone was to bring us up in conversation and other people were talking about us, what would be the characteristics that would rise to the top when other people talked about what would be our testimony before others what would be our reputation or let's even say it this way what would our resume look like 
in other people's eyes, not in our own, not writing our own resume, but them writing it. What would they say would be our things that stick out? Notice there are five in verse 21. And the first one is, he knows how to play the liar. He's skilled. He is a skilled musician. Oh, by the way, his skill didn't just come naturally. The word speaks about the practice that David put in in order to know how to play the lyre skillfully. That's an important principle for all of us, that we can spend many, many hours in private where no one sees us but God, and yet that sets us up for success when we are in front of others. Practice. Practice is so important. And we need to learn to be people who practice the things that God wants us to practice. There's so much in the Bible that God says, as Christians, we should be practicing, if you will, in order to become more proficient in it. David was a skilled musician. Secondly, it says he was a brave warrior. Think about that. That's before Goliath that we're going to look at in a couple weeks. That's before he became king and won all those battles. No, even as a young man, he had this idea that that young man was strong. He was a mighty man of valor. He was courageous. He was was a brave warrior, even from a very young age. And the third characteristic, He's articulate. It means he is prudent in his speech. Oh, here's a convicting thing. It means he thought before he spoke. Whoa. Even as a young man, he didn't just fly off with words. He was very thoughtful and prudent before he spoke. The fourth, yeah, Bible says he was handsome. He was easy on the eyes. He was physically attractive. But obviously, God didn't care as much about that as he did David's heart because the final characteristic is actually the most important. Notice what it says. The Lord was with him. The fingerprints of God were all over David. And even Saul's attendants could sense that the Lord was with him. Here was a young man that walked with his God. Here was a young man who talked with his God. Here was a young man who reminded people about Jehovah. Here was a young man who centered his life in his relationship with the Lord who was his shepherd. That's what's going to make the difference in David's life. Not even so much that he was a skilled musician, that he was a brave warrior, that he was articulate, that he was handsome. All those things will play a part in David's future. But the thing that will play the most and the biggest part is that the Lord was with David. His hands were upon him. You and I understand that. When when, when we look at another Christian or listen to another Christian or watch other Christians, there are certain Christians you just know God's with them. God's hand is on their life and on their ministry. You can just tell it. That's exactly what Saul's attendants were saying about David. He stood out. There was something different about him. 
So as we think about the beginning of David's life here in 1 Samuel 16, I want to ask us this question as we close today. What is it that God sees when he looks at your heart today? What is it that God sees when he looks at your heart? Because God does not view things the way people do. People, they get caught up and they concentrate on the outward appearance, the externals. But God looks at the heart. And that's what God is looking at today. He's not caught up in all the externals. He's looking right here. May we have a heart today that is willing to surrender itself to the Lord. I'm going to ask Nicole and our worship team to come. And as they come and get settled on the platform, I'm going to ask you all to stand with me and join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for many of the assurances that you've shared with us in this passage this morning. We thank you, Father, for many of the principles, Lord, that are in this passage this morning, but more than any other God. We have seen once again how you prioritize the heart of human beings above all other things. That's where it starts and where it ends with you, God. It's all about our heart. And so, Lord, I pray today that each of us are willing to give you our heart. Whether our heart needs satisfied or strengthened or healed or comforted or assured or whatever it is, God, the answer is you. And Lord, I, I pray that as you look at our hearts, that you see in each of us a passion for you. That we want to pursue you, God, and prioritize you more than anything else in our life. And God, may that give us comfort because so often we could feel like no one sees us, no one's noticing us, but God, you do. Nothing escapes your eyes. And God, you're just simply looking for people whose hearts are devoted to you like David's was. May that be true of us, and may that be true of us here at the Oasis Church. As we surrender our hearts to you today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.